Beautiful. All right, guys. Um, how are you doing this morning? Good, good. Um, let's back up a little bit because it's not just me talking this morning um, for today's children's sermon. I'm actually going to interview our friend John Orsell right here, all right? So I want to ask him um, some questions about his trombone. Do you guys ever see John playing the trombone here at church? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, um, all right, John, how long have you been playing the trombone? Been playing for 14 years. Oh, wow, that's a long time. Are any of you guys 14 years old? I'm, no, I'm, I'm five years old. I'm, a, I'm almost going to turn yeah. six. Yeah. I'm five. Yeah, you're five. That's about, that's about a third of the way. Yeah. So John's been, playing, John's been playing the trombone for almost three times longer than Isaiah's been alive. That's pretty amazing. Now, um, so John, I, I have another question. So what? Le, so listen up, kids. What is this? What is this little part here that you blow into? I see you blowing into that. What's that called? Yeah, this part is called the mouthpiece. Okay. And the mouthpiece. Yes. So right. basically, I can play anything on here that I can do on here. This amplifies. What oh I really? Do on the Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. So whatever you play in there, this just amplifies that. So like the air travels through all these tubes and stuff and then comes out here and makes a sound. What's this called? What's that part called? The big part? It's called a bell. All right. It's called a bell. Does that kind of look like a bell, guys? Yeah. Okay. So um, could you play it for us once just to, so that we can see how it works? Can you play us a little song? All right. Let's listen, kids. All right. Let's listen. Uh, that was smooth like butter, wasn't it? <laughs> so did, did any of you kids recognize that song? What's that song? Yeah. So sad. <laughs> Phone a friend. Play something more cheerful. What? what is it? Uh, I have no idea what you mean. Not O Come O Come Israel almost, what? O Come O Come Emmanuel. Yeah, and ransom captive Israel. Okay. So John, um, Beethoven, so John, you just breathed, you breathed some breath into that mouthpiece. And it went through that tube and it, and it just, it made that, that beautiful big sound come out the other end. All right, that's pretty amazing. So, um, one more question, John. If you didn't have this mouthpiece, like if I took it from you, um, do you think um, do you think uh, do you think that the that the bell could ring out a beautiful big sound for us? Let's try. Oh, you need this. Okay. Okay. All right. Give it a try. I dare you. Excuse you. Okay. So. Um, so yeah, excuse you, John. <laughs> okay, so what I want the children to notice this morning, listen, is that something, sometimes something big and beautiful um, comes from something small, right? Sometimes something small is actually made to have a big impact. So in our gospel reading today, um, Jesus says, that he was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I think that doesn't, that doesn't sound quite right to us at first, right? Because it sounds like Jesus only is there to rescue the Israelites and not other people. But is that true? No. No, 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 no because that's too small for Jesus. 
He came to do something much bigger than that. But here's the thing, all right? Um, I can tell you in one sentence why Jesus said that. Could you repeat after me? And actually, everybody can repeat this after me, all right? Repeat after me. The Creator chose Israel, the Creator chose Israel. To, bless all nations. to bless all nations. And through Jesus, and through Jesus he, did it. he did it. All right. The Creator chose Israel to bless all nations, and through Jesus, he did it. All right. So, um, through Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, God invited all nations to come and worship him. So, God invited all families to be a part of his family. So, God invited you into his family, and God invited you into his family, and God invited you into his family. All right? So, let's think back to Josh Trombone. And about Jesus. So even though Israel was a tiny nation, right? And even though Jesus was just one man, through him God promised to bring a big blessing, a huge blessing to all nations. So Jesus was like the mouthpiece of God to the world. And when God breathed on Jesus, his Holy Spirit, Jesus made this beautiful sound. He sounded out to all creation and let all nations know that they could come and be a part of the people of God. Even God's enemies, like this Canaanite woman in our passage today, when they saw Jesus, somehow they knew that they could be God's friends. Somehow they knew that they could be healed too. All right, let's pray. Please pray, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you chose Israel because through them, you chose all of us. Lord, we thank you that you breathed on Jesus because through him you've breathed on all of us. We pray that we would hear through your election of Israel your universal offer to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, kids, you can follow back Miss Alicia to tell you Sunday school, all right? I want you to be the leader. I want All right, so uh, <clears throat> can you guys believe that in the providence of God, these were the lectionary readings for this week? Um, so I'm not just talking about Alpha Sunday. Like, we didn't invent these lectionary readings. These readings are being read in Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, Catholic churches, all around the world today, and all around America, even in the wake of Charlottesville. Um, all the preachers have to deal with this passage where Jesus calls a foreign woman a dog. I mean, like, good Lord. We need you to pray for us this morning. Um, I just read this passage earlier to John this week, and, uh, and he smiled a big smile and said, That Jesus, he's a charmer. See, I'm glad that you guys laugh at that because uh, your laughter means you're confident that Jesus was not, in fact, a racist. Uh, and, of course, you would be absolutely correct. I mean, if we only had this one passage, we might wonder, like maybe for a second. But throughout Jesus' ministry, he always showed this countercultural openness to people of different ethnicities and cultures, didn't he? I mean, he, he went across the Sea of Galilee to the, region of the, the Gentile region of the Gerasenes, 
to heal this demonized man who was living among pigs, right? Jesus crossed cultural and gender boundaries to build a friendship with a Samaritan woman, and then he spent two days with her in her town, right? He, um, he, he told parables where the Samaritan guy was the hero instead of the Jewish priest, right? It kind of flipped everything on, on, on its head. At one point, Jesus even rebukes a couple of his disciples because they wanted to call down fire from heaven because some foreigners were not listening to their message. So that's Jesus. And he actually went even further than that. Grab a Bible and turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And that's on page 813 of your pew Bible. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And uh, this story comes just a few chapters before our reading today, so it's good to have this tape playing in the back of your mind when we come to the story of this Canaanite woman. And this stuff is radical, man. I mean, this stuff is the kind of stuff that goes on to inspire people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. So in this story, Jesus goes so far as to have mercy on a high-ranking Roman soldier, a centurion. So a centurion would have been in charge of a hundred other soldiers. And, and I, I mean, I don't know if you can kind of fathom how radical Jesus' mercy to this man would have been. Um, you know, Roman soldiers were the very symbol of Jewish oppression. The Jews were oppressed, and, and these centurions, they were not just outsiders, they were enemies. They were enemies. And in Matthew 8, we find Jesus not only performing a miracle for the man but also praising him above all his Jewish brethren. When Jesus sees the man's faith, he says in verse 10, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. With no one in all of Israel. He says this about their arch enemies. With no one in all Israel have I found such faith. I mean, dang. Like Jesus' Jewish disciples must have felt... Like their pride was pretty wounded at that point. And then he says, listen to how he follows that up. He says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Many will come from the east and from the west. So by the time we get to this passage in Matthew 15, you flip forward there with me to Matthew 15. There's some extra Bibles back there. John, will you hand a, hand a few out in case people don't have them? <coughs> By the time we get to this passage of the Canaanite woman, Jesus has already sort of showed his cards. Right? He's no longer sort of playing them close to his chest. Yes, he's Jewish. Yes, he's the Jewish Messiah. But Jesus is by no means ethnocentric. His ministry is just consistently open to foreigners. Matthew knows that, and the readers who've been following the story know that. Nevertheless, I think we can all admit that Matthew 15, 20, 21 through 28 is still a tricky passage, right? Can we admit that? Okay, good. Now I want to face it head on, all right? So it says in verse 21, Jesus went away from there. That is, he went away from Galilee. Now, Galilee is the region where Jesus um, did most of his earthly ministry. But every now and then, Jesus and his disciples would travel down to Jerusalem, especially for a major feast. So they would travel south. 
But here, what we, what we hear in this passage is that Jesus actually went north. He withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, which is north of Galilee. It's out of the bounds of Israel altogether. And we see Jesus intentionally withdrew there. So, in verse 22, he runs into a Canaanite woman. Now, do you think Jesus was surprised to run into a Canaanite woman in Tyre and Sidon? No, right? He went there intentionally to run into these kinds of people, right? So what surprised Jesus was not her ethnicity. What surprised him was her humility and faith. Just like the Roman soldier in Matthew 8, this woman has amazing faith, doesn't she? Her daughter was suffering from demonic oppression, and so pushing through the social and racial barriers, she came to Jesus crying, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, son of David. Now this title, son of David, we have to understand was a messianic title. Right? So um, this woman must have known something about Judaism, and she knew that they were all waiting for this long-awaited king, this Messiah that would come in the line that would be part of the lineage of King David. And so when she called Jesus son of David, she was confessing her belief that Jesus is that king. Right? Now that might not seem that impressive to us because we read the Bible and we're like, I've already been taught that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, the Messiah. But do you know, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, not even the apostles have acknowledged this yet? Peter's actually the first one to do that, and that doesn't even happen until the next chapter, until chapter 16. So here's this foreign woman who seems to be more clued into God than all these people who grew up reading the scriptures, right? And this, this isn't the first time this happens in the Gospel of Matthew. You know who really, truly, the first people to truly understand who Jesus was and to worship him for who he is in the Gospel of Matthew are? Yeah, the Magi. The Magi who traveled from the east and they laid their gifts before the Son of God and they worshipped Him. Right? I mean, they traveled from afar. They left their gods. They left their religion. They left their home because they found something worthy about Jesus of their worship. And something similar is going on here with this Canaanite woman. The people of God are being humbled by an outsider. There was actually even a temple to the pagan god of healing just three miles northeast of Sidon. But instead of going there, she chooses to go to Jesus. So over and over again, we see these foreigners humbling the people of God through their insight and faith. And that's exactly what Jesus was hoping for. Jesus wants to humble the pride of his Jewish apostles. Do you think that might have had anything to do with the reason why Jesus decided to head north? on this occasion. I believe that's exactly the reason. I remember um, when I first became a campus minister in 2004, the first person, uh, the first non-believer that I led to the Lord was, um, was a Jewish film school student. And um, I say that I led him to the Lord, but um, in, in all reality, it was him that was constantly challenging me to go deeper. So we would meet together, we would study the Gospels, and even if it was his first time reading it, for some reason he just seemed to have this intuitive connection with Jesus, and he like understood the passage on levels deeper than I've ever seen. I'm like, where's he getting this stuff? 
I mean, I remember when I taught him the Lord's Prayer, um, he was like, that's really beautiful. And then he just goes on his knees and he's like, Father in heaven, kingdom come. And, and, uh, and he just starts praying this like humble, simple prayer. It was like one of the most beautiful prayers that I've ever heard. And I just remember being like convicted to my heart. I'm like, this guy's like a spiritual genius. <laughs> What's going on here? And um, I remember I told my supervisor about him. I said, I'm like meeting with this guy who doesn't know Jesus yet, but he seems to know Jesus better than I do. <laughs> and he said, um, oh yeah, he said, I think all ministers need to encounter someone like that early on in order to humble us out of our pride. So you might say that um, my Canaanite woman was a Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> But looking back at Matthew 15, Jesus hasn't yet revealed his true purpose for traveling to this foreign land. So at first he doesn't actually answer the woman. He doesn't acknowledge her, but he kind of just like lets her hang around. And then the disciples start saying, send her away. You know, she's annoying us. And, uh, and Jesus tells her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we talked about what that, that with the kids, the, the sense in which that's true and the sense in which that, that's not the whole story. But then uh, Jesus really turns on the charm, as John would say. And a couple verses later, he says, No, it's not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to dogs. Right? I mean, I wonder what it would have been like to be there and to hear Jesus say that. It actually probably wouldn't have been that surprising. Because in Jesus' day, it was common for the Israelites to call non-Jews dogs. That was a common term of contempt um, for non-Jews. So they would use, and actually they would use the word for a wild dog. So these scavengers, these dangerous dogs that were just kind of a menace throughout the Middle East. And the interesting thing is, is that um, Jesus softens that a bit. He actually chooses to use a different word. In the, in the Greek, there's this different word for dog, and it's more like sort of lap dog, like a pet that you would keep in the house. And so that's what he calls this woman. He softens it a bit, but still... I mean, if we look at Jesus' words on face value, it would seem like he's saying something like this. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like he's saying, it's not right to give the benefits of the kingdom to those who are not Jewish by birth. You're coming and begging me to heal your daughter? You know, that's, that's a kingdom thing. And you're not a part of the kingdom. It's not right for me to give the benefits of the kingdom to people who are not born Jewish. Does that sound about right? That sounds like what he's saying? Well, I want to go on record this morning and say that it's impossible that that's what Jesus means by this. It's impossible that that's what Jesus means by this. You know how I know? Because he just told us a few chapters early that many will come into the kingdom from the east and from the west. Many. Because the last thing that Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 28, the last thing he says to his disciples is, go and make disciples of all nations. So that's where this thing is headed. That's where the Gospel of Matthew is actually headed. And here's the kicker. Matthew has already told us in the first chapter that Jesus has a Canaanite woman in his own genealogy. He mentions Rahab the prostitute as a member of Jesus' family. And, and where was she from? The land of Canaan. So Jesus is part Canaanite. 
He wasn't even a pure-blooded Jew. <laughs> so if Matthew has already told us all this, why are we still sort of led to this moment of fabricated ethnic tension? Why was Jesus pretending to be a Jewish nationalist? I contend that his trip to Tyre and Sidon um, and, and this sort of ethnocentric masquerade was done in order to root out an even more foundational sin in his disciples. And that's the sin of pride. Pride. Pride is what caused the devil's downfall. Pride is an even worse sin than racism. Hear me. Pride is an even worse sin than racism because things like racism grow out of pride, not the other way around. And the sad thing is, is that pride is a much more accepted sin in our culture. Oftentimes it's actually celebrated. You know, in the wake of Charlottesville, I've been thinking about this, this term, white supremacist, this week. White supremacist. And to me, there's something that sounds just idolatrous about that term, isn't it? It's somebody who thinks that they, that the group that they're in should be supreme. And everybody else should be secondary. Everybody else should look up to us. Sounds an awful lot like the way the, de the devil tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't it? He says, God doesn't want you to just be like him. Knowing good and evil, reach out, grab, be like him. Be like God. Take the supremacy for yourself. So as Christians, we believe that proclaiming the supremacy of one ethnic group over others is always wrong. It's always wrong. Whether you're black, white, brown, anything in between. It's a satanic value system. That's what it is. I have a doctor friend who, uh, who told me that just last week, uh, somebody in, in her office wanted a blood transfusion, and um, they, they needed one, and um, they, you know, that's, that's a pretty normal thing, but they asked the question, they wanted to know, okay, well, who is this person, like, what's their ethnicity? And she was, that's, that's an odd question, and she, you know, and she said, because I don't want black blood body. So, <clears throat> somebody volunteered to donate blood to save the life of somebody they never met, to potentially save the life of somebody they never met. And yet somehow this woman thinks that perhaps the donor isn't worthy Brothers and sisters, we need to ask God to cleanse our hearts and heal our land. And that's the thing. You know, Jesus knew that his Jewish disciples, members of God's chosen people, yes, but they were in danger of this kind of ethnic pride that would exclude them from the kingdom of God. So he let this Canaanite woman humble them and show them what faith really looks like. Now that's not to say that, that, that pride only flowed one way and that only Jewish Christians were in danger of pride. In fact, 
Um, our reading from Romans 11 today, Paul warns the Gentile believers of the same pitfall, doesn't he? Paul uses an olive tree as an analogy for God's people, and he warns that Gentile believers, the wild olive shoots, um, that, that, that some of, if some of the original Jewish branches were sort of broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, that doesn't give the Gentile believers, quote, the right, it doesn't give them the right to, quote, be arrogant toward those branches. Right? Paul's rebuking them. He's trying to curb arrogance because in Rome there was this tension between ethnically Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And there started to become this bitterness toward Jews that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And there started to become this arrogance. How different of a story would human history have been if Gentiles would have heeded the message of St. Paul? N.T. Wright says, Though many Christians, alas, have tried to forget the specialness of Israel and the purposes of God, the New Testament writers never do. And Jesus himself certainly never implied anything different. Now, the weird thing to me is that a lot of these supremacist groups, whether it's the KKK or neo-Nazis or whatever, it's like they claim to have some sort of like biblical support for their position often. You know, it's, it's this kind of weird thing. It's like um, they sort of forget that Jesus isn't what we would have, like he, he wouldn't have been like what we would call white, you know. <laughs> he was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. Right? That's a, that's a strange thing for neo-Nazis, you know, to try to wrestle with. Um, you know, their message couldn't be any more contrary to the message of God's word. Couldn't be any more contrary. The scriptures teach that all people are created in the image of God. Right? There's, there's no subspecies. There's no certain groups that were created by the devil instead. There's one creator. The devil never created any person. God created people. He loves all people, loves all ethnic groups. That's why in our reading from Isaiah 56 today, we heard that God wanted his Jewish temple to become a house of prayer for all nations. He says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Right? That's the way that that's the way that like an insecure child talks when they're not sure if their parents love them, right? And, and so, so the Lord He speaks comforting words to them. In Isaiah 56, 5, the Lord says to the foreigner and to the eunuch, He says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. So better than sons and daughters. Can you, can you hear the Lord saying that to you this morning? Better than sons and daughters. If there's anyone here today, no matter your race, no matter your education, no matter your relationship with your earthly parents, if anyone is wondering what kind of status that God wants you to have in his kingdom, what kind of status that God wants you to have in his house, he tells us right here in his word. He said he wants to make a monument and give you a name better than sons and daughters. That's what the centurion received when Jesus said about him, Truly I tell you, no one in Israel 
In no one in Israel have I found such faith. See, better than a son. That's what this humble Canaanite woman received when Jesus said to her, Oh woman, great is your faith. Better than a daughter. She went from a dog to a daughter in ten seconds. <laughs> and this woman's faith points to the gospel. Because it's by faith in Christ, not by ethnicity, that we are made children of God. Read Galatians. And there's something about this woman's humility and faith that God just can't resist. Right? It's not even, the cross hasn't even happened yet. The resurrection hasn't even happened yet. And it's just like, but man, I like this. I like this humility and faith. So his kingdom was breaking forth ahead of time to this woman. I think there's something about this woman that reminds God of his own son. The faith and humility of Jesus. And with this, you know why white supremacy is doomed to fail? Don't worry about it, you guys. You know why it's doomed to fail? Because God already gave the supremacy to someone else. <laughs> right? God already gave his highest to the one who went the lowest. He already gave his crown to the one who served the fullest to the one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's about that man that Jesus says, that, that the Father says that he will give the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the, and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ is supreme to the glory of God the Father. Amen.